Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. It means a lot to us that you've decided to make this service a part of your spiritual rhythm today. Whether you're live in the room with us, watching online, or at some point in the future. If you are just visiting, this is the kind of place that anyone can call home. If you are curious about church, this is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a great place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. If you followed Christ your whole life, this is the kind of place that cares about your spiritual journey. We are committed to helping you grow. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home, or if you just have questions, please let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, I was uh, up in Portland barreling down I-84 in the center lane between I-205 and I-5. I was driving our once stylish Honda Prelude, which I had inherited from Didi when we started having kids. Uh, Car seats and coupes don't go together very well. So she gave up her favorite car that she's ever owned in exchange for my grandparents' hand-me-down Ford Escort. I think we all know who got the better end of the deal. (laughs) It was mid-afternoon, so traffic was heavy, but not quite what it would be during rush hour. But that meant that everyone was running at full speed. I'm not sure what she was on, if you know what I mean. But what she was in, which was uninsured, by the way, uh, barged onto the freeway from the exit that I had, uh, was just passing straight into a car in the right lane with, only, with room for only one car in that lane. That car forced its way into my lane, clipping me on the passenger side and shoving me cere- unceremoniously into the left lane where an SUV two or three times the size of my little Honda Prelude rammed me from behind, shooting me forward like a cannon. And in the blink of an eye, I was Fred Flintstoning my brakes. My life was flashing before my eyes, thinking, Dee Dee's going to kill me for wrecking her car. After she hugs me, of course, for being alive, if I make it through this alive. It's amazing what goes through your mind in just moments. Somehow, I miraculously made it to the freeway shoulder without getting hit and came to a stop. Uh, The inside of the car was just as totaled as the outside of the car. If you've ever been in a serious wreck, you know what I mean. Everything in the back seat of the car, everything in the front seat of the car, including my Diet Coke, was now at my feet. Cup holders didn't become standard in cars until 1983. Our 1984 prelude was apparently not standard. What a waste of a Diet Coke. Now my car has 20 cup holders. I'm set now. But I lost a good Diet Coke in 1998. I just, I sat there for a moment in shock. 
You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You felt like your life was hit by a bus or two cars. Uh, Something has hit your life out of the blue. Some of the most powerful moments of your life you didn't see coming. As Rick Warren, a pastor of Saddleback Church in California, who has given us the framework of what we're going to be looking at through October, says, uh, there are a lot of events in life that you can't go around, you can't go over, you can't go by, you have to go through. So last week, we began our fall series, how do you, how to get through what you're going through. Uh, Together, we're learning how to get through whatever it is that we're going through. We're learning how to process grief and loss in emotionally and spiritually healthy ways. Uh, Nobody likes to grieve loss. Uh, There really isn't anything fun about it. It doesn't matter what the loss is. All loss brings grief, and nobody likes to grieve. Last week, someone asked me if we could do a happy series after this one. We're much better at stuffing and shelving our losses than we are at grieving them well. Uh, The problem is there's only so much you can stuff and shelve before you're out of room, and then it all starts leaking, maybe even exploding out of you, out of control. But that isn't the only problem. The longer your loss is stuffed and shelved, the more damage it does in you. As we discovered last week, we have a lot of loss to process thanks to COVID. Actually, we generally have a lot of loss to process. We can't blame it all on COVID, but COVID has certainly compressed about a decade's worth of loss into 18 months. The world has changed dramatically, and change brings loss. We could sum it up and say that we are grieving the loss of our, what was our normal, but that also makes it seem a little bit shallow. And it's it's anything but shallow. If you missed last week, uh, the last week's message, you're probably going to want to watch later to catch up. That will help fill in some of the blanks if you're wondering what I'm talking about. Uh, as As we learned last week, there are six stages or phases in getting through what you're going through. Uh, When a bus rocks your life, when catastrophe hits, when you suddenly find yourself in a deep, dark valley, when you find yourself going through something you hadn't planned on going through, you're going to go through these six phases. Maybe not in order, maybe more than once, maybe even overlapping at times, but you're going to experience shock, sorrow, struggle, and then hopefully surrender, sanctification, and service. The first three, shock, sorrow, and struggle, apply to everyone. Regardless of age, culture, or religion, when grief hits, everyone deals with shock, sorrow, and struggle. Atheists experience shock, struggle, and shock, sorrow, and struggle. Buddhists deal with shock, sorrow, and struggle. Muslims, Catholics, Mormons, Baptists, agnostics, everyone experiences shock, sorrow, and struggle. If you're watching today and you haven't made uh, the decision to follow Christ, let me first say we're so glad that you are here in the room or online. Uh, We hope you learn some healthy principles to help you process shock, sorrow, and struggle. But the last three, surrender, sanctification, and service, probably don't apply to you. They are unique to the Christ-centered life. 
But if you stick with us through the series, as we talk about them, you'll get a picture of how God redeems the junk in our lives and turns it into something beautiful. You'll begin to see why we can have hope and joy even in dark valleys. Suffering is common to mankind. Everyone experiences loss. Catastrophes hit every life at some point. Loss comes to you, to me, to someone you love, to the person sitting next to you. Uh, if you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, verse 12 in your Bible, it, you read this. Uh, people can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. They hit out of the blue. Things just happen. You get that dreaded phone call. Your boss ominously calls you into her office. You walk in the door to an empty house. You don't plan them. They just happen. You're blindsided. And when that happens, your first reaction is going to be shock. And you are in good company. Lots of people in the Bible experienced shock. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in this land. The prophet Ezekiel writes, Then I came to the colony of Judean exiles in Tel Abib, beside the Kibar River. I was overwhelmed and sat among them for seven days. I was so distressed, I didn't even move for seven days. I was paralyzed in shock. And the prophet Isaiah, hey, if you ever think I'd like to be a prophet of God. Rethink that. Being a prophet wasn't all it was uh, cracked up to be. Talk about doom and gloom in your own life. But Isaiah writes, My stomach aches and burns with pain. Sharp pangs of anguish are, up are upon me, like those of a woman in labor. I grow faint when I hear what God is planning. I'm too afraid to look. My mind reels and my heart races I longed for evening to come, but now I am terrified of the dark. I'm shocked. My head is spinning. I used to enjoy watching Jeopardy in the evening, but now that's been ruined for me too. Nighttime is a nightmare. Uh, even King David experienced shock. In Psalm 143, he complained, My enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. All of these men were experiencing the first stage of getting through whatever you're going through. Shock. Every person here, every person watching online or who will be watching online at some point, every one of us falls into one of three categories. You either know somebody who is in crisis right now, like we've talked about, or you're in one yourself, or you don't see that the bus is getting ready to hit your life. You're about to get into a crisis. They happen all the time. Uh, you might be in or about to be in a financial crisis. You might get laid off or come home to a flooded bathroom that's not insured. A health crisis. All of a sudden, you're going to be fighting for your life, and then a financial crisis as you pay for it. 
a relational crisis when someone walks out of your life or makes choices that complicate your life or someone you love dies. This kind of stuff happens all of the time. So you either know somebody in one of those situations, you're in one right now, or you're going to be in one in the near future. So I'm going to try to speak to all three groups today. Let's just take them in order, one at a time. First, how do you help a friend in shock? How do you help a friend in shock? At some point in your life, you are going to know some friends who are in it. So what do you do? Now I know some of you are thinking, I don't have the mercy gift, so I'll let someone else help people in shock. Nice try. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, well, commands us really in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. Share each, other, each other's burdens. If we are followers of Christ, helping people in pain is just what we do. Uh, remember the law of Christ? We talked a lot about that in our last series. Jesus gave us one command, love others like I have loved you. That's the law of Christ. We also call it the law of love. It's pretty simple, really. Loving others is how we love Jesus. Love does what is required of love. And when people are in pain, we step in to help. We share burdens. So how do you help a friend who's in shock? Three things. First, you show up. It's that simple. Just show up. Don't wait for an invitation. Don't stand on the sidelines. Just show up. Call them. Text them. Drop by. It probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Your response should probably match the severity of their situation and the kind of relationship that you have with them. Now, I know you're like me. When you see somebody in pain, maybe they've just lost their job or their parent has died or they have breast cancer or just found out that their spouse wanted out and now they're going through a divorce. You're just like me. I don't know what to say. Like, what words could possibly help this person? Here's the deal, though. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. In fact, it might be better if you didn't say anything. So don't say anything, just show up. Shut up and show up. <laughs> we call that the ministry of presence. When my brother died in his sleep at the age of 27, people just showed up at my parents' house. They didn't have answers or explanations. They had food and hugs. Food was a tool to get them in the door for hugs. And for my dad, their ministry of presence changed the way he thought about grief. Before then, he was someone who wouldn't show up because he didn't know what to say. But the ministry of presence changed him. So you don't wait for an invitation, just show up. That's what Job's friends did. You're probably familiar with the story of Job. You've probably felt like Job a time or two in your life. Job lost everything. In one fell swoop, on a day he didn't see coming, he lost his property, which was all of his wealth at that time. He lost his kids, his family and his fortune, and then his health. Now, here's how his friends responded at the end of Job chapter 2. 
When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Like, what a picture of friendship. They heard he was in shock, that he and his wife had lost everything dear to them, their children and their wealth, and they, they heard about his troubles, and they headed over to his place. They didn't wait for an invitation. They knew that Job needed them around. When you are in shock, you don't need words. You need presence. You need touch, hugs, a hand on the shoulder, a shoulder to cry on, a pat on the back. So shut up and show up. And then the second thing uh, to do for a friend in shock, you share their pain. That's the second thing that Job's friends did. Job 2 continues, When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. So they see him from afar, and they can already tell what the shock has done to him. He's barely recognizable. So they begin to cry for his loss. And then they tore their robes and threw dust on their heads. You don't need to do that part. That was a Middle Eastern custom that said, we're in this with you, friend. We feel your pain. It's okay to be a little more American in your response or whatever country you are watching from. They did suffer in silence with Job for seven days. Seven days without a word. They knew how deep his suffering was. Words wouldn't help. Shock isn't the why phase. That's struggle. When you're in shock, you haven't even really thought of the questions yet. And even if you could find the answers, they wouldn't help. Knowing why wouldn't bring back his kids. Answers don't help. Presence does. They empathize with his pain. I'm not sure that I've ever gone one whole day without speaking. Seven seems impossible. In fact, I've got to be honest here. I suck at this part. I'm a much better friend with the final three phases than I am with the first three. Last week, I said that shock lasts as long as shock lasts for you. I'm not good at seven-day shock. I'm much more of an instant kind of shock person. Can we microwave my shock? That's how I process. Shock and move on. But that's not how everybody, pro everybody else processes. Good friends show up and shut up and share pain. Great friends show up, shut up, and share pain as long as their friends need them to. So I'm growing here. Job's friends saw how great his suffering was and met him in his pain. I think they just waited for him to talk. The greater the grief, the fewer words needed. Remember this, it will help when you show up. Grief, great grief doesn't need words. If you show up for a bad hair day, on the other hand, talk them down on the phone, comfort them, and move on. That I can do. If they lose a loved one, just be quiet. Just be there. Weep with those who weep. So you show up, you share their pain, and then 
the third thing you do to help someone in shock, you take the initiative. When you have a friend in shock, you take the initiative. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Whenever you possibly can, do good. Doing good means anything. Run an errand, pick up their kids from school, bring a meal. If you don't cook, Uber Eats a meal. Mow their lawn, provide practical help. Don't do what I normally do. Hey, I'm, I'm growing too. Don't tell someone who's going through major shock, let me know if you need anything. That's the dumbest thing you can say to someone in shock. Because now the ball's in their court and you've just made them responsible for you. They've got to work to get your help. You are obligating them to take the initiative and they generally won't. So you aren't helping don't even say, how can I help? They don't know. They're in shock. They aren't thinking clearly. They don't have the slightest clue how you can help them. They're numb. They're paralyzed, not focusing. You're forcing them to think, and they can't think right now. So instead of those two bad options, which I excel at, by the way, don't channel your inner Pastor Chris here. Instead, give them options. I'd like to bring you dinner, chicken or beef. I'm going to the store. What can I pick up for you? You want to help someone? Go to Costco for them. Nobody likes to go to Costco. Amen. Nobody. Sorry, George, but it's true. Although, for the record, George Ghosh rocks the pharmacy department at our Costco. But nobody likes to go to Costco, especially when they're in shock. That's practical help. So you make the suggestion. Just say, I'd like to do this for you. Can I do this for you? Okay, so that will help you help others. Now, for those of you who are in the thick of it right now, your world is collapsing in around you. And some of you, uh, last week, let me know what grief that you are going through right now, what loss you are grieving. You're in this stage right now, and you're in shock, just going through the motions. I'm not going to give you a long list of things, just two. Uh, let's just focus on the bare minimum. You really can't handle any more than that. So first, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Psalm 50, 15 says, then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. When you call out to God, you actually honor him because you are depending on him. It honors God when you depend on him. Lamentations 2.19 says, rise during the night and cry out. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands to him in prayer, pleading for your children. For in every street they are faint with hunger. Now, you probably aren't sleeping very well in shock. When our son was stuck in juvenile detention the night he was arrested, we weren't sleeping. We were stuck in bed praying, crying out to God to reach our son, to protect our son, to bind our broken hearts. The good news is God isn't sleeping either. So pray. Listen to worship music. Open your heart to God. That's the first thing. And the second thing you do 
is let others help you. Let others help you. Now, I'm bad at that too, but when you're in shock, you need to give yourself a break. Take it easy. Accept assistance from other people. You don't have to be strong for everybody else. Let them be strong for you. That's what relationships are for. Proverbs 17, 17 puts it like this. A friend is loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. That's what, it, that's what that means is that relationships are at their best when you're in pain. And it's important for you to let other people help you when you are in this stage. And here's why. The natural reaction to shock is deep pain. It's with, it, it, to deep pain is withdrawal. You get laid off, you don't want to talk to anybody. You find out how you have cancer, you don't want to talk to anybody. You just had a miscarriage, you don't want anyone to know about it. You just want to be alone. Sometimes that's fueled by embarrassment or guilt or shame. Uh, it was tempting to keep Josh's arrest to ourselves. After all, this kind of thing never happens to pastors. But we let the elders in and the pastors and staff and our close friends, they loved on us. They loved on Josh. The journey was hard, but it would have been much harder if we had been burdened by this big secret. So fight the embarrassment. Fight the guilt and shame. And let's be honest here, there are some situations that happen to us that are out of our control, and there are some that we bring on ourselves. Shock is shock, even if our own stupidity brought it on. You've been dating that guy for six months. Your friends have been telling you he's bad news, but you're lonely, and you love him. And then he shows his true colors. Yes, you could have listened and gotten out before it was shock level change, but you didn't. It's still shock, and you're embarrassed that you ignored your friends who were right all along, so you withdraw. Whether it's your fault or not, withdrawal is the natural human instinct. It's our natural reaction when something bad happens. We withdraw into isolation, and nothing good happens in isolation. Nothing good happens in isolation. The enemy of our souls loves isolation. He does some of his best work in isolation. You don't need isolation. You need people. You need community. You need fellowship. In sorrow, you need worship. But in shock, you need fellowship. You don't need people to talk to you. You just need people to show up in your life. Now, if you're in a crisis right now, don't hold it in. Don't keep it to yourself. Let someone know. Let us know. We're here to help. We can't help if you don't let us know that you need help. I can't tell you how often we find out that someone was going through something major alone, and we don't find out until later. You don't have to be alone. You shouldn't be alone. We experience the healing hand of God in community through God's people loving like Jesus. In fact, I want to pause for just a moment and do something a little different. I want to just pause for a moment and pray for everyone who is going through something hard. You need some prayer. So we are going to pray for you right now. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to do something brave.
if you're here in the room and you're going through something hard and could use some prayer, I want you to stand up. Just right now, just stand up. It doesn't matter whether it's big or small. If it's hard for you, it counts. Uh, if you're watching online in the, in the chat feature, just type the words, I'm standing up. Now, I know some of you are thinking, there's no way. <laughs> no way I'm going to stand up. Please stand anyway. Don't be embarrassed. You can see already that you're not the only one dealing with something hard. No one is going to call you out. You don't have to explain anything to anyone. Standing just means uh, that you need some prayer right now. So let's pray. Father, if I could just be honest here and say, we hate hard things. Uh, those of us who are Christ followers know that you redeem the junk and that you work all things out for good, but that doesn't make us like hard things anymore. So right now, we join with our brothers and sisters who are experiencing something hard in their lives, and we ask you to do your perfect work in their situation, whatever the situation is. Father, we pray that whatever lesson you might be trying to teach them, that you would open their hearts and their minds to that truth. We pray that where there uh, is our feelings of hopelessness, that you would restore hope. Where there is anxiety and worry, that you would bring peace. God, we pray that you would glorify your name in each and every situation. We pray that uh, our brothers and sisters would feel your presence as they walk through this valley like they've never experienced your presence before. Father, you are the great physician who heals us physically, but even more than that, you heal us emotionally and you heal us spiritually. So great physician, let your healing move in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you for that. Thank you for trusting us with what's going on in your lives. Now, before we move on, there are four levels of fellowship. You can see this uh, most clearly in a small group, but I think it's true all the way around. And anywhere you have at least two people, you have a small group. So apply it in your life, uh, wherever, in whatever group you are in. The shallowest level of fellowship is the fellowship of sharing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this level. It's not a bad level. It's just the shallowest level. It's simply, how was your week? What did you do? Here's what I did kind of conversation. You're just catching up. That's the fellowship of sharing. The next level is the fellowship of studying. When you study the Bible together, you up your intimacy game. Studying Scripture together draws, draws you closer than simply sharing information. You're letting people see your heart. The next level of fellowship is the fellowship of serving. You're serving together. You're making a difference together. You're building memories, uh, spending time. 
But the deepest level of fellowship is the fellowship of suffering. And that's when you enter into another person's pain. There is nothing richer and more meaningful. In fact, that leads us to the final group. If you aren't helping someone in shock or in shock yourself, then you should probably be preparing for the shock that's just around the the corner. I saw Kevin Dial at the State Fair this year. He was uh, manning a booth with some friends in the expo focusing on disaster preparedness. Uh, As he'll tell you, and science agrees, he's not just making this up, we are overdue here in Oregon for an earthquake of catastrophic proportions. He's prepared. I've said this before, when something happens, I'm going to be at his house. But he's prepared, and he wants everyone else to be as well. Well, the following two things will help you prepare for emotional catastrophe. They'll help make your life shock-resistant. You know something's coming at some point in the future. Why wouldn't you want to be prepared? So the first thing to do is cultivate stronger relationships. Cultivate stronger relationships. God never intended for you to go through life on your own, handling all of your problems alone. God created you for community. Even God lives in community. If it's good for him, it's good for you too. God has given you a spiritual family. We call that the church. Your spiritual family is bigger and stronger than your physical family. It will outlast your physical family. Physical families don't last. People grow up and move away. They get married. There are divorces. People die. Physical families don't last. But the family of God is eternal. Your spiritual family will outlast your physical family. So you need to cultivate some level four fellowship of pain relationships in, spiritual, in your spiritual family. The best time to prepare for a crisis is when you aren't in one. So start building the safety, that safety net now. It takes time to build deep abiding relationships that last through every storm. You, so you don't have time to waste. Get into a small group of some kind, a serving group, a growth group, build your own group, whatever it takes, develop deep relationships. Deep relationships take work and initiative, but they are so worth it. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. If two is 100% better than one, imagine what three or four could mean for your life. If you need help getting connected into our community, your first step is to let us know. We know people. Start building those relationships before you need them. And the second thing you need to do to prepare for shock is to grow deep spiritual roots. You don't want to be a spiritual tumbleweed. Tumbleweeds just blow wherever the wind takes them. You need roots You need to know your Bible better so that when you're facing challenges, you have what you need to power you through. It's what you know that gets you through the valley and to the other side a better person. You need to know the Bible better. You need to know God better. Jeremiah 17 says, 
but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. You, you've got to have deep roots in order to bear, to bear the fruits. Imagine being like that tree. Trouble comes, challenges come, shock happens, and they just keep producing fruit. That's the kind of life I want. I'm not really an outdoorsy, enjoy nature while you're camping kind of a guy. I grew up doing all of that stuff, and now I prefer the hardship of having to figure out the remote control for the TV in the hotel room. But with that said, the, the giant redwoods of Northern California are awesome creations of God. They are the tallest living things on the planet. There isn't anything bigger. The tallest one is more than 300 feet tall. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. A pine tree, which can only get up to about 100 feet, has a tap root that runs 8 to 12 feet down in deep, uh, down into the soil. So you'd think that a giant sequoia, which can be a more than three times taller, would have a tap root that would go three times deeper, wouldn't you? But it doesn't. It's about the same as a pine tree. And if you look at this picture, you'll see that they really don't have that many roots at all. Their roots don't run nearly as deep as other trees either. It's not what you'd expect to support something so mammoth. But here's why. Redwoods grow in groves. Instead of putting down really deep tap roots, they grow roots out sideways, even up to an acre out, and they hold each other up. The only trees that really fall over are the ones who aren't in a grove. Any tree that grows that tall with such shallow roots that doesn't depend on anything else is going to fall at some point. God designed the church to be a giant grove. You've got to grow in community. We hold each other up. You don't have to be super deep, just super connected. If you are super connected, you're in the family. You're not an attender, you're a member. There's a difference between attending a church and being part of a church. Attenders go to church, members are the church. We want to be members. So let me close with this. Uh, Paul wrote these words uh, to the Colossian church. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's what I'm talking about. So as a side note, if you just showed up at Explore 101 this afternoon, Michelle wouldn't turn you away. You could start cultivating relationships and building deep roots as soon as 1 o'clock. Make your life shock-resistant. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you are God, and we are not. 
Thank you that we can trust that no matter what we face, you've got it under control, that your ways are higher than our ways, and though we might not understand, we might not even like what's going on in or around us, we can trust you with your plan. Father, may we be the kind of people that turn to you when we are in shock. May we be the kind of people that are there when our friends are in shock. And may we be the kind of people who weather any storm still producing fruit, still living lives of faith, still having hope and joy and peace because our roots are so deep and we are so well connected that we can withstand it all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Thank you for your financial support of our ministries. God does great things in people's lives because of your faithfulness. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, and share this service wherever you watch it. The message of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. He is the best answer to all of life's challenges. We'll see you next week. Go in the grace of God.